So there's been lots in the newspapers in the last few weeks with, I don't know, Lawrence Fox and Meghan and football and all this sort of stuff about racism. And um, it's one of those subjects that I feel incredibly nervous talking about because I just feel I can get it wrong. So uh, what better person to talk to than uh, my friend, the scientist, Adam Rutherford, who has next week a book coming out called How to Argue with a Racist, History, Science, Race and Reality. And so maybe my nervousness can be a little bit alleviated by getting a bit of science uh, in, the, in the mix. Adam, welcome. Hello, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the racist you're arguing with? Uh, well, that's a good question. So p- part of it is, as you say, it's predicated on the, on the idea that race, race and racism have become part of the public discourse much more than I can remember yeah. in the last few years. And as you, you, know, as you say, that there's, there's popular examples in the press all the time and it's, it's exaggerated and amplified by social media and we create these anti-heroes uh, who apparently are saying racist things and then we get into this sort of you know, endless death spiral of discussing what is and isn't racist. So part of it is trying to address some of the, some of the stereotypes and myths that non-racists might express, but actually are racist views. So trying to deal with issues about sport and purity of ancestry right. and um, intelligence is a, you know, a terribly difficult but important subject which is associated with race and heritability, pretty much the most contentious subject in the whole of science. And then at the, at the other end of the spectrum, you've also got the, the rise of the far right, white supremacists who are absolutely obsessed with genetics. And, and this is relatively new because it, it's coupled with the emergence of a really profound understanding of human genetics, which has emerged only in the last 10 years or so. So that's your subject, isn't it? You're a geneticist. Yeah. You studied genetics at university, you have a PhD in genetics. That's, that's, that's your subject. Yeah. So if we talk about the history of science, I mean, genetics is a more recent subject, but if we talk about the history of science, has science had a good history vis-a-vis race? <laughs> well, I think you know the answer I to didn't that. really, but I'm just <laughs> teeing you up. <laughs> right. I mean, it's a complex history, but um, the simple answer is... Very much no. And part of the motivation for writing the book is because my, I am associated with UCL. I'm a, I have an honorary position at UCL. I was an undergraduate at UCL. Um, so there is the, the, the association between UCL and race science and specifically eugenics is very, very strong. It has a really tawdry, dirty history there. I'm also a geneticist, which is a field associated with, with race science. So there's two sort of strands that are colliding in me. I'm also mixed race, which is not really part of my identity because I was, I'm, I'm from Ipswich. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm about as English. There's some jokes, there's some jokes about nobody being of mixed race in Ipswich. I mean, everybody's, well, <laughs> share, it's quite... share one or two. <laughs> I can't say that, okay. I'm not making any on. jokes, no more jokes. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I mean, if you can't have levity about some aspects of these these topics, then it, then I think you've got a problem. Uh, writing the book, in fact, on that topic, half the time I did find it genuinely amusing because the history of race science going back for uh, sort of 500 years, back to the concept of the Enlightenment and scientific revolution, some of the stuff that happened in there was genuinely so ridiculous. And some of the aspersions and pseudoscientific discussions that were instigated by men of the Enlightenment are just absurd. Um, and quite amusing at the other end of the spectrum whilst writing it i'm also talking about the single worst crimes that humans have ever perpetrated 
on each other. So, you know, half the time it was hilarious, the other half the time it was profoundly depressing. Let's go right from the sort of top for me. Is race a scientific category? No, is the simple answer. Um, the, the history is important here because what the history tells us quite clearly is that in the emergence of the age of empires, the age of colonialism, the age of um, exploitation, as European people were expanding around the world, this is the first time that we see the most robust pseudo-scientific, but attempts at scientific discussions of what race is, trying to categorise people, taxonomy of different people. <clears throat> Before that, there, there is plenty of, of, of ethnocentrism, there's, there's war and conflict between different groups, but it's only at this point that you begin to see European people, European men, trying to categorise people by what, the, what, by what we recognise today as races. And it starts with people like Linnaeus and Voltaire and Kant, and they're trying to say, like, these people are one category of people, these people are black, these people are East Asians. Um, and what is happening here is the marshalling of science, or the co-opting of, of science, in order to describe this taxonomy, this classification, with the purpose of subjugating people, right? It's much easier to subjugate a people if you say, well, they're different from us. And it's not just that they're different from us in all of the descriptions of racial taxonomy. There is a clear hierarchy. And see if you can guess who comes out top of yeah, that hierarchy. Yeah. Almost exclusive. No, in fact, exclusively, it's always white Europeans who are um, the most gentle, most intelligent, the most sophisticated, governed by laws, and so on. And within this hierarchy, you've got a bunch of other people who, to varying in different degrees, are less than that. In some categorizations, subhuman. So Voltaire was quite clear that black people, African people, were a different species from white Europeans. So and this, is the, this is the great sort of enlightened Voltaire. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, a great hero of the Enlightenment, a great hero of the atheist movement in the modern era. Um, he ha held profoundly racist views. Now, I, I know it's important as a historian to say, well, we mustn't judge people of the past by contemporary mores, and that is a, a, a valid cornerstone of understanding the past. However, we must be aware of not using that as a... As, as just to, to exonerate people who had awful views in the past. Because it's quite possible to say, well, Voltaire was more racist than X. If you look at, if you contemporise what they're actually saying, there are degrees of, of uh, opinions with, within any historical period. And I think it's fine to say that Voltaire was a racist. Everyone was more racist back then. But Voltaire was more racist than someone else. And Kant was differently racist than someone else. So when Kahindi Andrews, Kahindi Andrews came on Confessions and uh, he said... To me, he was talking about the Enlightenment, and he said it's white man's identity politics. It's a good line, isn't it? Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, and I True? think ah, there's a lot to unpack in that simple sentence. I think there's a lot of truth to that. It is it is the establishment of a class of people uh, to, that are superior to others in order to frame them as superior. So this taxonomy that we're talking about, which is really in the service of uh, empire, white supremacy, if that seems an ahistorical term, but it certainly is that. How much scientific input is there into the categories that 
Well, relatively little, and it does develop over, over time. So many of these people who were significant in, um, in developing these, these racial ideas didn't travel. They weren't part of the scientific method. They weren't, we have no evidence that Voltaire was down in Africa, um, uh, you know, looking and studying black people. There are other people like Linnaeus who similarly didn't necessarily uh, make scientific claims themselves. Most of it is predicated on, most of it is based on skin colour, right? I mean, right. it is the most obvious. We're a very visual species. Most of it was based on the notion that people look different to us and skin colour is the, is the first and foremost in determining races. As we move through the era of scientific racism, you see other metrics, morphological metrics, such as Sculpt, Phrenology. Yeah, exactly. Phrenology comes a bit later. It's a slightly different co concept. Okay. But craniometry, so okay. measuring of skulls and, and so on. Blumenbach is a key figure in this, a German scientist who measured something like 60 skulls and with that determined that there were five races. Those skulls have been remeasured and measured over time and it's difficult to see that those data still stand up. However, and this is really, really important as if you're using science to talk about human variation, we're not all the same we're not you know the blank slate is an idea that has been expunged from science correctly people are different so understanding and recognizing that people are different around the world and some of those differences are evolutionary adaptations is an important acknowledgement that people are different the question is are those differences uh, discrete are they important in terms of behavior or intelligence or those sorts of traits um, and that really only emerges in the 20th century. So until that point, it is recognising that there's difference and saying this means superiority or this means hierarchy of races. What we're, the era that we're in now is recognising that there are differences, but those differences, well, asking the question, are those differences of import when it comes to... Certain sorts of abilities. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, and this is where it ties up to the original question you asked me, which is when you're talking to people who aren't, racists or don't think of themselves as racists and are well-intentioned and we say things like we all adhere to ideas like well you know sport is a really big part of this even if you're not into sport I know that we both are but if you're not into sport it's easy just to say well you know I'm not into sport so it doesn't really matter but historically sport is one of the areas where people of the world have been observed by other people in the world at the extremes of physical performance and so it becomes very easy to say well you know the last man in the 100 meters sprint in the Olympics was 1980 Alan Wells right and the USA were boycotting that year and that was the that was the last time that any white man was in the race and the last time the winning time was more than 10 seconds so then you go well well obviously if there hasn't been a white man since 1980 then the obvious conclusion is well that means that Black people, people run better than white people. Yeah, or you say, you know, people of West African descent, so America, African Americans or Jamaicans or, or Caribbean uh, or Canadians have some sort of innate ability which is different from people of different heritage. And it's, it's, it seems obviously true because the data you're looking at, which is the 100 metre sprint final, says one thing very clearly. But the one of the things I try to get into in the book a lot is when you look at data points like that and say, well, those are facts. What I've just said is a fact about Alan Wells. If you're a scientist, that is the beginning of inquiry, right? That's the point where you say, well, what is the reason for that? And I think we're very casual, non-scientists, normal people, very casual about saying, well, I've observed that, and therefore my conclusion is that black people are different or that African-Americans are, are different. 
and that's what I want to get stuck into. I want to, I want to equip people with the, the tools to say, yeah, well, are they? Is and, it? So I guess one of the questions here that I would that immediately sparked in my mind is, is when you're looking for explanations for something like that, to what extent do you bring in questions of culture, mm-hmm. and to what extent do you, do you talk about biology? And I and I'm not sure where the balance lies between culture and biology. Well, that is the central and most difficult question in, in the whole of human genetics. Oh, great. So of, like, of you, you can knock that off for us now, then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but see, the thing is, that, you know, again, it's that it's the point, and this is what I want to get into in the book, is recognising that there are differences, but then asking the question about what is the weight of those, difference, of those differences. When it comes to sport, when it comes to 100 metres, it's relatively easy, because if it were just biology then you would expect to see the same sort of dominance by African-Americans or people of West African descent in all sorts of branches of sports that require the same physical components like explosive energy and heavy musculature. And you just don't, right? So there's been 56 men in the Olympic 100 metres final since 1980, or since 84, all of whom have been uh, black. How many, how many black people have swum in the 50 meter freestyle in the Olympics in the history of the Olympics no idea one Cullen Jones right the only black man who's ever competed in the final of the of an equivalent race now that is quite a powerful data point it says what is swimming so biologically different from swimming? Why, why am I feeling uncomfortable already I know, <laughs> I know. Why, why am I I mean I, you're, you're, you're presenting facts about yeah. things but my levels of discomfort just keep on rising even in this conversation i sort of i don't even know how to go go on right in this conversation i think that honesty about data is important and scientific credibility is important but at the same time recognizing that data is not neutral and so one of the one of the i don't want to i'll be sort of you know frame it as sides but Sometimes scientists are not great at recognizing that data is not a neutral thing. Science yeah. is done by people. Yeah. And in principle, it should be neutral and, um, and not partisan. Yeah. But that's a principle. And as long as science is done by people, then there are always skews and always biases in there. And we know that because, you know, silly things, or I mean, it's terribly important, but silly things like the fact that our understanding of the genetics of pigmentation, which is complex and, and you know, not, not trivial, until only in the last three or four years, that has been almost entirely determined by studying Europeans, white people. And so that doesn't give you a rounded scientific view. Forget all the culture, forget all the, the, the political significance of studying pigmentation. But if you're not studying the proportion of the people on which racism has been based on their skin colour, then you're not really addressing the point scientifically. Has the sort of common or garden racism, thug racism of the street, has that been informed by this patchy history of science, do you think? Really difficult to assess, but I think yes, because the categories that people talk about, that were the colloquial uses of race that everyone recognises. If I say the person at reception was a black man to you, you know what I'm talking about, right? 
um, or if I say they were um, uh, Asian or East Asian, you you know what I'm talking yeah. about, right? The problem is that when you look at the underlying biology, and I'm talking about genetics, genomics, DNA, um, the way we see variation in people at a genetic level doesn't correlate perfectly or even necessarily well with the colloquial descriptions of, of the, that we all embrace in terms of saying there are five races or seven races or three races or, or whatever. So you go, um, we, we, you know, people talk about race as a social construct, which is, which is a reasonable way to describe it. Actually, a lot of people are dismissive about that. They say race is just a social construct, which is a kind of... I, I think that's a silly thing to say because... It's another way of saying it's not real. Well, yeah, it social, sort of feels like that. social constructs is what... You know, money's a social construct. Yes, yes, Time yes. is a social yes, construct. Yes, yes, yes. The main way that humans interact with yes. each other is via social con constructs. Yes. Me and you have never exchanged any biological material, as far as I'm aware. But, you know, to say race is just a social construct is, it dismisses it as being not important when actually that's the primary way that humans in interact. Uh, so you say, well, race is a social construct, which is which means that it's not a biological construct. So when you say, you know, black people refers to 1.2 billion Africans, and this is where the biology becomes important because actually, because of evolutionary history, there is more genetic diversity within Africa than there is in the rest of the world. Right. So, and there's more. That's really important, isn't it? Yeah, and there's more pigmentation diversity yeah. within Africa than the yeah. rest of the world. So when yeah. you say it's a black person, yeah, you may know what I mean. Yeah. But from a biological point of view, from a scientific point of view, it's a it's a meaningless thing to say. One of the one of the things that some people may be anxious about when we start going into the sort of social construct idea, is then it seems to open the door for those people who argue that uh, you are whatever race you may self-identify as. This whole business about self-identification, which is, you know, again, another complicated area. And there'll be examples of people who self-identify as a particular race, and they don't look like that. Mm -hmm. And this creates a sort of a, a sense of perplexion uh, in people. What, what do you think about this sort of self-identifying thing? I, I'm, that's not really di my domain, but but I think there are interesting things you can say which are directly related to the relationship between race as a social construct and race as a biological construct. And I think one of the best examples is talking about African-Americans, right? So you've got this incredibly peculiar and awful, you know, one of the most pernicious acts of humankind, history of transatlantic slavery. 12 million is, is the estimates, um, men and women... Um, taken from their lands um, and uh, transported as, as the enslaved to the Americas North and South, right? Now, there are something like 40-odd million um, uh, African-Americans in, uh, in the USA today, and almost all of them are descended from the enslaved. Now, because of what we know about the genetic diversity within Africa, and because of what we know about the history of where those countries that, that, that their ancestors came from, Angola, Senegal, Sierra Leone, places like that on the west coast of Africa, there is enormous biological difference between those, the ancestors who are the ancestors of, of, uh, of African-Americans today. So you say, well, that is not, African-Americans are not a genetically coherent grouping of people, even though, again, we recognize them as being African-American. And African-Americans self-identify as African-American. They can say, well, we are African-Americans. We are blacks in America. And we have our own social history, which is, which determines a lot of their, their identity and their relationship with other Americans and, and, and the land that they, they live in. 
But again, the biology doesn't say the same thing. And this is, again, we relate it back to sport or whatever, whatever you want to look at. This is one of the problems of saying African-Americans are good at sprinting. What do you mean by African-Americans? As a cultural grouping, yeah, that's fine because there's a proportion of African-Americans who've dominated in this sport. But when you start looking at the science, it, it's, it's not a coherent genetic grouping of people. And, and, you know, a lot of the message of the book is you can't have science on your side in these kinds of arguments. That's not to say race doesn't exist. That's not to say racism doesn't exist. It's not to say... I see. So right? when you say how to argue with the racist, the racist that you have in mind is a racist who tries to employ science as a way of bolstering their initial prejudice or their sort of power take on the world. Yeah, it's a powerful tool, science. It's, yeah. you know, you come equipped with facts and arguments and evolutionary histories and things like that, and therefore you have a toolkit in front of you which is not emotional in its basis. It's not yes. culture in its basis. And I can say, wow. You, you, know. put white coat, you put the white coat on and suddenly you're speaking the truth. And when you're speaking the truth, you, suddenly that's a very useful rhetorical tool, especially if it's one that can be purloined for all these sorts of purposes. Yes, and the history is important in this regard because in the inception of race, as we currently understand it, it is science being co-opted in order to make political points. It's not Sometimes the other way around. Willingly. It's not the other way around, though. That's the crucial thing. It's not people. It's not anthropologists or proto scientists in the 17th and 18th century going out and saying, "I want to study the people of the world," and here are the conclusions of of that drawn from really robust science, and everyone else can make judgments about what we then do with that scientific or that pseudo scientific data, as it turns out to be. It, it's the other way around. It's people okay. saying. You know, we, we are demonstrating that black people, African people, have characteristics which make them uh, um, inferior to white Europeans. And I think there is a real danger and maybe some examples in the contemporary era with contemporary science, with modern genetics, where the same sort of patterns emerge. I guess this is what I want to talk to you about next. So genetics is a very modern um, area of scientific discovery so the history of before that is a patchy one has this new field of genetics has it has it learned its lesson is it uh, is it more careful i think so but uh, there are many caveats within them so so the formal study of genetics is only really a century old and it comes from ucl most of it much of it comes from ucl and much of it comes from a few people people like francis galton um on... and you were saying before that he he had very dodgy views. Yeah, yeah. Now, could you just tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So, Galton is um, Darwin's cousin. Was Darwin's cousin? Nineteenth-century scientist, and um, he, in his gap year, travelled the world and came back. You know, Mark Twain said, "When you travel the world, it becomes impossible to be racist." Galton came back, and he was much more racist than he left. Uh. He left off, but he was extraordinarily bright as well. I mean, a real scientific genius. And some of his work, he, he's got a whole phalanx of slightly, a sort of re embarrassment of scientific riches, in, in which many of which we're still dependent on. So invented almost well, a whole ton of statistical, statistical techniques that we still rely on. First person to draw a weather map, um, uh, invented a hat with ventilation for keeping your head cool when you were thinking hard. Um, in 1905, <laughs> trivialising this slightly, 
invented a new way to cut a cake. Um, but the, set that aside, yeah. also used a lot of those statistical techniques to reinforce um, white superiority, white supremacy, and the whole concept of eugenics. Now, eugenics and racism are not the same thing, um, but they're closely linked in that eugenics policies over the world, uh, although we never had them in the UK, um, disproportionately targets ethnic minorities and other people, um, but they're not, they're not the same thing. Um, now, Galton helped set up the laboratories at UCL. He was never actually at UCL, but helped set up the scientific discipline, which eventually in the 20th century becomes human genetics. Um, and the, the, you asked the question, so I guess does now? genetics have genetics have racism in its DNA? So at right, at, yeah, well, right at the right at, the, at its at the at the foot of it, it absolutely does. It, at its inception, this is a field set up by a racist in order to demonstrate white supremacy, and that's the sort of unequivocally correct thing to say. Wow. And it's not just him; loads of the people around <clears throat> him. Then he, he endowed UCL with a with a chair, at the Galton Professorship, which still exists to this day. And the next one, Carl Pearson after him, was worse in terms of being a, a racist and eugenicist. And again, everyone was more racist back then. Eugenics was not a, the toxic idea that we consider it to be today. Many people adopted it on the right and left. Um, people like Mary Stopes was a profound eugenicist, mostly because she wanted to exterminate the Irish from, from London wasn't that keen on the Jews either. It wrote love poetry to Hitler in the 1930s. God, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so we champion someone like that as a, as, you know, a, a cornerstone of reproductive rights for women. The reason she was into reproductive rights for women was because she was really keen on exterminating no. people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Why have I never heard that before? I know. I don't, it's, 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 always, it's always a bit of a mystery to me that oh, that is not better known okay. and that Mary Stopes is the name above the clinics. Yeah. Um, Helen Lewis has written a chapter on, on her in her new book, Difficult Women, which is, which is a really important way of approaching, approaching it, recognising that people can be awful and useful mm. or, or scientifically mm. credible. Mm. Galton was a scientific genius, yeah. but he was a oh. terrible person. Anyway, the point at the end of this story is you ask me whether eugen eugenics has a, uh, sorry, genetics has a very dodgy past, but ultimately, it is the subject that demonstrates the fallacy, the scientific fallacy of, of race. And I love that irony. I, that's a beautiful irony. That is the demonstration of the Science power working. of the scientific method. Yeah. You set it up yeah. with the intention of yeah. proving a political view which we regard as bigoted. Yeah. And the ultimate outcome of that is exactly the opposite. Right. So, so you know, give that, it enough time story. and give it enough, give, give enough attention to it and that, you know, reality just trumps the, the prejudice that's, that's there. You end, you end your book on something, some sort of rhetorical line about, in the end, racism bumps into reality or something like that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it is, um, it, it's, the, well, spoiler alert, the, 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 the final line is the book that, that science is, is my ally and not yours. Because the other thing that is important... I mean, is, what, yours being the racist. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. If, if, if you're a racist, what I say is if you're a racist, you're asking for a fight. But science is my ally, not yours. Yes. Because you're arguing not just with me, 
but with reality. But there's lots of crackpots on the web. Yeah. Maybe they're not, I don't know whether they're more than the web or probably a bit more, but, but, but love to use science as a way of justifying their bigotry. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, this, is, a, this is where it gets really super complex. And we, we won't talk about how complex it is right here because it is seriously hard science. But what we are seeing is as the genome gets explored more, and it's the most complex data set that's ever been encountered, right? Therefore, it requires a lot of very, very specialist understanding of it. And not many people can do that, right? I'm not one of them. I'm, I'm someone who's, you know, one or two tiers down from the population geneticists who really understand how to analyze DNA uh, at this sort of level. And then there's a whole bunch of people, not that many of them, but they are very vocal, um, who are interested in genetics and have a, 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 a variable range of understanding of the, the types of techniques that we're talking about. But they do appear to be, we call them race scientists, but and one of the things I say in the book is that um, they appear to be more interested in the race than the science. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, in the social media age, their voices get amplified yeah. because they th say yeah, things yeah. which are appealing to certain people. Yeah. And they say, hey, it's not, I'm not a racist. This is just what the data says. And yeah. then you look more closely and it's not what the data and says. And it's highly problematic when the, when the truth, as you say, is the preserve, because it's so complicated, the truth is the, is the perverse, preserve of very few people. Yeah. You know, it's two, two levels up from your understanding, yeah. as it were. So there's no way mere mortals like me, when it comes to the science, can engage with it. And, you know, it's a slight problem with experts in a way, in terms of the authority that's being yeah. used. Yeah. And with that authority sort of imposing a certain sort of particularly political understanding of the world. Yeah, I mean, it is the, the level of nuance and the level of detail is, it's hard. I found myself, as someone who's spent the last 20 years trying to explain pretty complex science to uh, non-scientists, yeah. I found myself at a point when explaining one particular technique, which has become a sort of cornerstone of uh, trying to justify the existence of race using biology, I found myself saying, there isn't an analogy to explain this. Right? Now, that's a problem if you're a science communicator. Yes, yes, there yes. isn't a way that I can think of which deals with the level of complexity within the techniques okay, that we're well, using. Okay, well, we're not going to try and do that. No, but understand. the point is that it becomes, yeah. it become, if, you're, if you're not an expert and someone says to you, who, who appears to be a scientist or has some scientific credibility in some domain, says, yeah, well, the polygenic risk score for whatever people says that they are different and they perform differently in this, in this domain, and that's what it says. And, and I look at it and go, uh, I don't think it does say that. Now I need to make a call to someone who understands <laughs> yeah. this. And they say, no, it doesn't say that because you use the wrong statistical technique, right? Or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And that stuff is hard. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, really it's hard. Yeah, it's, yeah, you know, yeah, you're yeah, using yeah, the wrong yeah, tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so so let's look, look, that's very important. That's all done. DNA tests, all that sort of stuff. Mm. So, we're, so that, that bears some, well, these are getting terribly popular, aren't they? I've even thought about, oh, I'd love to know quackery. Do they tell you very much? I wouldn't go as far as saying quackery. Assuming that they're done right and done honestly, and the, the, you know, the big companies that do this, there's no real evidence to support the, the, the suggestion that they're not doing it honestly. But what they tell you is very different from what most people assume they're telling you. Okay. Right? Because we're absolutely bamboozled and um, uh, enchanted 
by these sort of narratives of belonging that yes. you say Absolutely. you know i i'm i've got scottish ancestry and yeah. i do a dna test and it tells me i'm descended from celtic warriors yeah or i'm writing a book on on, on jewish ancestry now i'm writing a book now, on that yeah yeah. So I understand. Which you that. have, which you, you are. Part yeah, 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 yeah. My dad's size. Jewish. Your dad's Jewish. Go yeah. back a long way, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I've thought about, you know, yeah. spitting a test tube and sending it off and seeing what percentage. But actually, I don't. I don't know what it is. I'd be told yeah. when I get the numbers back. And I. Yeah. Um, that's that's what I don't really know. I feel suspicious of it. So you know me. I'm quite suspicious of science. So <laughs> little bit. <laughs> I have noticed. That. What I mean, what what they're fundamentally doing. They're not telling you where your ancestors came from directly because that technique doesn't exist. Okay. There isn't a way to do that. Right. What they're telling you is what your DNA looks like in comparison to other paying customers, right? I see. So, who, who are alive today. I see. So you take a DNA test and then they, they, they plug it into, you spit in the tube, you send it off, they plug it into their database which consists of other paying customers and they say that your DNA at these, these crucial How do they bits, start it? Uh, well, well, they were databases to start off oh, okay, with, but, okay. but as they grow, the resolution gets gets greater. And it says, well, you've got a chunk of DNA or a proportion of your DNA looks most like people from Sweden, or it most closely aggregates with people in Northern Europe, or or maybe the Middle East, or maybe more specifically uh, in Israel or, okay, or, yeah, or yeah, Ashkenazi yeah. or, or yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. From that, you infer that you have a proportion of your ancestry which is from those those people's those people's same ancestry so shared ancestry is what it's demonstrating now the problem with that it's not wrong um, is it informative to you in terms of what you want to understand about yourself I don't really think so um, but more importantly it doesn't betray or it doesn't it doesn't say what we actually know about genealogy which is that you don't have to go back very far before our family trees collapse. Yeah. And there's a sort of mathematical reason for that, yeah, which yeah. is that everyone has two parents. Yeah. And everyone's always had two parents. Yeah, apart with, from Jesus. With the possible exception of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but, but you're a priest. Um, <laughs> and, and what that means is the number of ancestors you have only increases as you go back through time. Yeah. But the number of people alive today is more than have ever existed. Yeah, yeah. So what you get, I'm doing hand actions here, which is useless for a podcast, but yeah. your tree goes upwards and outwards from yeah. you. Yeah. And then after a few generations, it begins to straighten and then collapse in because on itself. Because they're the same people. Because you're descended from the same people multiple times. Yeah. If not, if that wasn't the case, mm. then a thousand years ago, you as an individual would have more than a trillion ancestors, which is a thousand times more people than, yes, than, than that. ever existed. Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. And so we come to this yes. slightly weird concept, which is quite difficult to get your head around, which is called the genetic point, which is a thousand years. The reason I say a thousand years ago is because the genetic point for Europe is a thousand years ago. And what that means is that everyone alive a thousand years ago is the ancestor of everyone alive today. There's a great, there's a great story about, um, I'm only half remembering this, about uh, there was a sort of hard racist group, political racist group in, uh, in the UK. And they, for a while they decided that Christianity was their thing. And they, they allied themselves with really hardcore fundamentalists until they realised that the hardcore fundamentalists said we're all descended from Adam and Eve. Okay, we all come from the same descent. And then suddenly at that point they were going, oh, well, that's obviously mythology. That's obviously a yeah. piece of mythology. Well, actually, it's not a, it's not a million miles away from this, is No, it? it's not. And, and again, this is why the history is important, because at the inception of scientific racism in the 17th century, there were two factions. There were the monogenists and the polygenists. Both of them 
were they're biblical creationists. We are we are derived from Adam and Eve, then thought to be a sort of Middle Eastern couple of pale skin. The monogenists said that literally everyone is descended from them, and and there was a view within Christianity that therefore it was it wasn't okay to be racist because everyone is the son of yes, 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 the yes, son yes, of Adam and Eve, yes. or son and daughters of Adam and Eve, yeah. and the polygenists were much more of the idea that humanity spread from Adam and Eve, and then they emerged uh, into the races that we see today. Voltaire was was a polygenist, so he believed that black people were a different species from white people who were derived directly from Adam and Eve. So yeah, it's exactly right. I mean, Adam and Eve is a useful story in, in some senses. The, the monogenists were right in principle, but wrong about literally every single detail, because what we now know is that we're an African species. And that, and that all humanity have evolved in Africa <coughs> over the last, well, that's some... 200,000 More than that, half a million more like. Okay. And everyone is derived from an African population. We, we've known that for a while, but the genetics has absolutely recapitulated that. And that thing that I said earlier, the fact that there's more genetic diversity in Africa than the rest of the world put together, is the categorical absolutes. Uh, reason why that is the case. Okay, so this, this has been a great conversation, and... Uh... The book's fantastic, and it's going to get very—it's going to get talked about a lot, Adam. I know it is, but what I'm still—I just want to make the—in a way, I want to make the connection. I don't care about genetics, okay? I don't—I don't care. I do care about people throwing bananas on football pitches. Yeah. Okay. So, in what way can your book be a help to that sort of, you know, combating that sort of thuggery? Yeah. So, like, you know, we talked a little about the white supremacists and the rise of the far right, and in some ways, those guys are a soft target because. They're not really wedded to a scientific justification for their beliefs. They may use science as a crutch, and and you know websites like Stormfront, which has been around for as long as the Human yeah. Genome Project, they, they're overt about their racism and anti-Semitism, but also they really really align it with genetics and say yeah. the problems with blacks is it's in their DNA. The yeah. problems with Jews yeah. is that it's in their blood, and of course, blood is yeah. a slightly different reference. It's point. almost isn't it? It's very, DNA's become the new way of talking about blood. Absolutely, but it? it's very important, and just it's important that, the, for example, Stormfront use blood to refer to Jews, because of course, you know, blood yes, as yes, a concept yes, within yes, Judaism yes. Is, is deeply. Um, oh, try, 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 try. Yeah. Right. Right. So, I mean, then it's important to deal with them, but in. It, to a certain degree, they are a softer target than what I think is part of the cultural conversation which I want to tackle, which is the number of people who say to me, when, especially when they found out the title of the book, was, God, I wish I had this book at Christmas uh, or Thanksgiving because... My uncle came round and yeah. he's like... Yeah, and it's not racist people. It's people who, who say black people are better at sprinting or Jews are better with money. Um, that there's a, you know, These are racist views. And a lot of people said to me... I don't really know how to counter that because I look at the 100 meter sprint and their data set is robust, except it's not if you look deeper. The history of, of um, Ashkenazi Jews, is, as you know, is in incredibly messy and poorly understood and it's peculiar because of thousands of years of persecution and diasporas and the Holocaust and, and so on. But still, the numbers are pretty stark. You know, Jewish people do, on average, better at IQ tests than than many other countries or or ethnic or cultural groupings. The number of Nobel Prizes in the sciences won by Jews is 144. The number won by black people is zero. 
right? And so those sorts of data points, or you, or you say, you know, um, uh, pretty much any domain in which intellectual or cognitive ability is valuable, Ashkenazi Jews are disproportionately represented. And so I, I want to equip people to, to look at those sorts of numbers and go, well, wait a minute, let's scrutinize that. What does, what does that actually mean? Because if the racists or the anti-Semites go, well, there's a reason for that and it's innate. And, and various- And philo-Semites too, by the way. Absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, in fact, you know, some of the arguments put forward are to do with the peculiar history, the, the selection of genes which are associated with cognitive abilities is part of the argument. I, I think it's, it's scientific nonsense and I, I try and describe why in the book. And then sometimes the conversation happens like this, where you go, well, what are you talking about? You know, being a great sprinter or being really good at chess or, or science, that's a good thing. You know, I'm not being racist, I'm being, a, I'm, this is positive. I'd like to have those attributes. But of course, it is exactly that argument which things like the, the Holocaust are, are predicated on. Because if you say this group of people are different from us, and it's biological, it's innate, Therefore, it can't be changed, it's immutable. Therefore, they're different from us, they're better than us at, in this domain, and therefore they have power associated with that. And as soon as you do that, you can say they're, they're, they're our enemy. And that is literally what happens in the, in the run up to the Holocaust. Okay, just finally, just, this, is, this is extraordinary, but just finally, you must have been quite nervous writing about this book. Hmm, yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, seriously, because I mean, I, I mean, I, well, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I'm nervous thinking about it. I'm, I'm the vicar of a. I'm the vicar of a black majority church. Yeah. They call it a Guinness church because it's got. I'm the white leadership, oh, and uh, that's what my lot call it. They call it. We're a Guinness church. <laughs> it's like this is quite I think too. But I, I'm terribly nervous yeah. about about uh, just writing about this. You writing a book on it and bringing all these sorts of things in. I mean, your book comes out next week. Yeah, I'm. Oh, I mean, my, yourself, my, a little bit. I mean, my, to be honest, my main concern, my, my biggest fear, is that I've got the science wrong. Because if you get the science wrong, there are people out there who are going to leap upon that and say exactly what I don't want to do in the book, which is say, well, this guy is, uh, he's, he's subverting science, or he's getting it wrong, or he's deliberately misrepresenting science. At, he's sacrificing science at the altar of political correctness. I see. Right. Or sometimes it's been said that um, you're a bit PC, a little bit PC. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and I'm fine with saying that. I don't think political correctness is a bad thing. Yeah. Um, I, I, it feels like you know I take the sort of Stuart Lee view on this that things are better when you're polite, yes, yes. which is what political correctness I think it is. The problem is if you if if political correctness is more important to you than what the data actually says. Now, I would have a problem if the science led me to conclude things that were justifiable as, as racist views. I, I would have much more of a struggle, but I don't think that is the case. I think I'm honest in my, in my understanding of the science, and I'm, I, I look to people who are much better than me at science to understand these, these sorts of concepts. And I have to come to the con same conclusion every single time, which is that the science does not support the existence of, of a biological category of race. At the same time, you know, in the conclusion, again, spoiler alert, please buy the book, but um, there's a sort of, I, I'm not undercutting any of the arguments that have come before it, but there is a point where I say, 
racism is not bad because it's uh, because because of the science or because the science is right or wrong or whatever. Racism is bad because it's an affront to human dignity. Right? What I'm saying is, these are the reasons. Here's a uh, 200 pages of reasons why you can't have science in your toolkit if you are a racist. It's not on your side. Yeah. Cheers, man. Thanks. Good luck with the book. <laughs>